0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Welcome to episode 306. Today we have Brianna Dittman, and we'll discuss how to successfully run a flying club. You know, Brianna's involved with the administration of the Jacksonville Navy Flying Club, and uh, is also an administrator for... uh, ferrying big airplanes, you know, ginormous airliners around the world, and recently is an adjunct professor over at Polk State College. Brianna, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you, thank you for having me again.
1: Yeah, this is awesome. It's, it's great having Brianna on because Brianna is also very involved in, in general aviation and all aspects of aviation, commercially, etc. But uh, most importantly today, we're going to talk about the Flying Club. Also joining us today is somebody who's a treasure of a Flying Club and also uh, helps us out with who's our production coordinator. That's Matt Lynn. Hey, Matt. Uh, also, welcome to the show. Nice Thanks for having me again, Carl. Always good to be on. Yeah, and Matt uh, also is uh, helps run or uh, assists in running the Florida International Air Show, which is down in Punta Gorda on the dates of, and you can tell us the dates?
3: November 4th and 5th. We'll have the
1: Thunderbirds. Awesome, the Thunderbirds. And we're going to be there. We have a booth. Uh, we're going to have both Stuck Mike Avcast and Aviation Careers Podcast.
0: Let's do the pre-flight.
1: Before we get started, I want to say thank you to all those people that paid it forward. As you know, we publish the largest scholarships directory out there for people that are involved in aviation in all different aspects. And that includes people that wanna get their private, instrument, commercial, maybe they wanna get a seaplane rating or a glider rating. There's a great way to do that and possibly do it for free. And that's to check out the scholarships guide. And if you're somebody that wants to help someone get a scholarships guide, we have this new program, uh, Pay It Forward program. Check it out. Click on Pay It Forward on the top right of the screen when you get to stuckmikeavcast.com. And you can either directly donate or become a patron. And by becoming a patron, you actually can donate per month maybe a dollar. That's all you need to do. And once we hit $10, we give away a scholarships guide. You want to find out how to get one of those scholarships guides? Go out there to Pay It Forward. Click on that, and it'll tell you, how you can actually find a free scholarships guide and uh, it's really been terrific uh, working with that it's been over a decade that we've been producing it uh, and it helps us people that are in general aviation uh, actually, continue our flying. Uh, also, talking about events. Uh, one of the things we're going to start doing is announcing our upcoming events. Our next event uh, is actually going to be uh, the Triple Tree Aerodrome Fly-in, and I think it's Bill English is planning on on flying there or going to be there. So please stop and say hello. That's at the Triple Tree Aerodrome, and uh, that's actually that will be definitely the the next event. It's coming up on September 18th through 24th, 2023, and uh, and also in the show notes. We're going to show you all the different events that we're going to, just like the Florida International Air Show and, of course, Sun and Fun. So go check those out. Now entering cruise flight. Again, joining us today is Brianna Dittman. But uh, what, before we talk about be- having a successful flying club, uh, I want to share what my feelings and also like to get the feelings of the other co-hosts here as to why a flying club. For me personally, uh, there's, there's a couple aspects of it. Number one is, uh, and I didn't realize how important this was till after I joined a bunch of clubs, is the social aspect. Um, sounds kind of crazy, but it really has become a great place for me to socialize and have fun with other people that are like-minded. And it also, the reason that most people, I think, go towards a flying club, and one of the reasons I went towards it in the beginning was lowering the cost of flying, and also enables me to get into an airplane without uh, having to worry too much about the the maintenance and having other people help me out there. So, Brianna, uh, I was wondering, what what are your, you know, I, I've kind of voiced what I like in the flying club. What are some of the other things that you like and also what you hear from members that like about having a flying club? You know, why a flying club?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that you brought up some really good points. I think that the networking aspect of having a flying club is something that is really priceless. Um, it's kind of a built-in group of people with the same interests that are able to offer you um mentorship guidance uh you have people from all aspects of the industry that are in varying levels of their career or their hobby so you can almost find anybody that's around the same area as you that can help you and guide you but um in addition to that it is a lot cheaper um and we have a lot of social events that we have the opportunity to do at lower costs. Um, And for us specifically, um, we are able to work around service members schedules um, and we're able to provide understanding and um, we offer flight instruction as well. So we are able to work around schedules of service members who are on deployments or underways or going TDY. So there's a lot of benefits to that as well.
1: Yeah, and and something you keyed on uh, right there is that uh, a lot of these clubs are very specific to an audience. Uh, your club specifically is for what what what's your what is your audience for your club?
2: So um, for us, we are on um, NAS Jacksonville here in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, we are open to anyone that has a base ID. Basically, if you have base access, so that can be active duty, that can be retirees, uh, reservists, DoD employees, civil air patrol, dependents, veterans. Um, so anybody that is able to get on base is able to utilize our flying club.
1: So for those that weren't in the military, basically, if I can get it, get into the BX, then I can actually come to the flying club maybe.
2: Yeah. Um, and like I said, members of the civil air patrol. So, um, the civil air patrol squadrons here are pretty active. And so there's a lot of members that will, um, do both.
1: Absolutely. So Matt, why, why flying club? What's, uh, what's your reason?
3: Well, my reason was access. Access to an aircraft that was uh, available and the cost. Brianna brought up some good points, and you did as well with the social aspect. You want to learn, you want to meet people with airplanes, you want to fly. In. Buying, we actually have a an equity flying club. It's just—it's a, a partnership, so we only there's only seven members. But a, uh, you're around the hangars, you meet the hang, i call them the hangar rats. Uh, they take you flying in their new aircraft, You get to see nice airplanes all day, take off and fly. And the cost, I mean, I flew yesterday, just an hour in the pattern, and my cost was less than sixty dollars That was, I had to buy fuel, and we have a dry rate as well, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into later, the cost. So, I mean, the cost is greatly, reduced. average, Cherokee is about $160, dollars an hour. wet. Much le- uh, point of entry is much
1: better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, that's a good point. Speaking of uh, flying clubs, uh, we're not going to get really into this, but I do want to mention that, you know, this is our why, why we got involved, but there's a lot of resources out there available for actually starting a flying club and operating a flying club. And some of the great resources are through AOPA, EAA, um, and I'll have some links in the show notes. And there's a really cool video that Jamie Beckett did from the You Can Fly uh, initiative, and it was at Sun and Fun last year. Outstanding. 45 minutes. It's worth the watch. Uh, because it kind of goes over a lot of those different resources and things like that. Uh, but what we want to kind of focus in on is that how to operate one successfully. Uh, so to do that, we're going to draw from mainly from Brianna's experience, but also Matt and from some of mine. See, I'm on the other side. I'm the user. I'm the person that pays my dues. And and kind of uh, kind of put in my two cents as to what i from a user's perspective feel a good flying club is uh so let's talk let's talk a little bit about that brianna and uh, as far as the running and a successful flying club which which you guys have uh, i've been involved in many of them uh, matt has a successful flying club is as far as the the group how how do you go about figuring out what your purpose is so i think that's an important part of that and i know we talked about that so so that for you, it's a location-wise, but uh, how how is it that you decided that this is only going to be for those that are active uh, duty or or retirees? I think it's simple. You're on the base, right?
2: Yeah. So I actually wasn't even born whenever our flying club was founded. Um, and the, the Navy flying clubs are actually nationwide. There's only three left now. Um, a lot of them have kind of fallen off, especially after COVID. People couldn't fly. Um, but the clubs started actually at a local airport. Um, it was just kind of like geared towards n- the Navy personnel. Um, and then they did everything that they needed to, to file the paperwork, to get the approvals, to create this space on base. Um, and then once that happened, of course, you need to have the base access, but then we also have um, secured gates to get back. So you have to kind of have like the security clearance to be able to do that um, and go through that process. Um, so that, yeah, we, we have kind of limited ourselves, but we're also pretty, I would say we're pretty successful um, because of the fact that we are so conveniently located for service members and we are a naval air station. So most of our members that are on the base are already like air crew or pilots or involved with the aviation industry and the military.
1: How about the, so you have that for the background. How about the the aircraft? Um, you know, because that's a big part of selecting the aircraft. What, what is the purpose of the aircraft? Is it for r- recreation? Is that that's what I'm assuming? Just doing cross country, learning to fly?
2: So we have two different aspects. We have our actual flying club aspect, but we also have our Part 61 um, school. So our aircraft are kind of a mixed bag. Um, we have some that are really great trainers. We have a couple Piper 140s and a Piper 180. Um, and then we also have um, a multi-engine. We have a Twin Comanche. Um, and then we have a Cessna 210 as well. Um, and the Cessna 210 is really great for those that want to do those longer cross-country trips. This um, 210 specifically has flown um, across the United States on multiple occasions um, for for pleasure. But then we also have our trainers. Um, and some of our trainers are instrument rated. So they can be used for overnight trips, um, family vacations. And then, of course, the multi is really great for getting those hours for the airline. So we kind of have the opportunity within the club to meet the needs of a variety of members.
1: Interesting you said that because I do know uh, quite a few members that are in your club. And they've actually reached out to me. And uh, they, the one thing that they liked is, is the variety of the aircraft. How many aircraft do you have, by the way?
2: So right now we have um, six And I would like to add as well that whenever considering the aircraft that you're going to have, you're going to have checkout requirements and stuff. So you don't want to have stuff that's so, so different that you're having a hard time finding people who can instruct a checkout on them or that members are constantly having to go get new checkouts or proficiency flights in six different model aircraft. Um, And that's something that we really have tried to make sure that we kind of rein that in so that our members want to fly, you know, they're able to fly multiple airframes if one is down for maintenance or something.
1: Interesting uh, that you have that many complex aircraft because most clubs don't. I mean, a lot of them stick with the single engine. I know uh, one of the clubs I was in, we had a couple of complex aircraft. One of them uh, actually ran off the runway and uh, that was a total. And then the next one, uh, they, they forgot to put the gear up. It's a really old club. And that was quite an expense. Luckily, the person that did that, you know, helped out financially with that. But that brings in a, a whole nother realm to the club when you start looking at more complex aircraft is that you have to have consistent training. It does uh, bring that cost up too. But if there's enough people that want to have that type of aircraft, uh, you have to have that discussion, I'm sure, as far as saying, hey, listen, do we want to keep this thing here or not? Uh, I, I know that uh, the one club I was in did decide to keep the, the retractable but got rid of the boonie. Um so, so, Matt, as far as your membership, how, how did you come about the actual aircraft and And why?
3: Well, uh, our club is probably older than Brianna as well. Um, It's been around a long time. I just found, I was looking for something on the field. I got in touch with one of the local members and his chair was for sale. It's a 1967, 1968 Cherokee 180. That's what was available. That's what I bought into. And it's, uh, I mean, it is an IFR rated aircraft. Which is nice. Uh, I'm very jealous of the Jacksonville Flying Club there. That's a heck of a lot of aircraft, it, it talk about opportunity to fl- learn to fly different aircraft and have them accessible.
1: Yeah, so you can actually go go up there since you're you know former military. So the uh, so, nice. I was going to say you might have another member here, Rihanna. <laughs> hey, you never know. I mean,
3: I, actually, I, I kick myself in the tail every once in a while because when I was in the military, we actually had a flying club on base. Never thought about going. Now you know, I look back and.
1: You know on so, if, you know, for those military folks listening, boy, this is a great opportunity. If you ever thought about going out and joining a, a flying club, I think this is a great opportunity to go out and actually explore it because a lot of times they have intro flights, that type of thing. Uh, as far as the actual airplane are concerned, um, I know within some of the clubs I've been involved with, uh, there's been ones where the club actually owns the airplane and there's other clubs that, where they actually do a lease back. So, Brianna, what, what do you folks do with your club?
2: yeah so we have a mix. I would say right now we're at about fifty fifty for club owned aircraft um versus leaseback aircraft um our some of our planes were given to us, some of them were bought really cheap from other flying clubs that were closing down i would I would argue that our leasebacks are almost more beneficial to the club um because the cost is on the owner, but they're still generating revenue, but also um you know the state of how things go, we have lease back planes that leave, we have lease back planes that come in, and it also gives the opportunity to change up that variety of aircraft. Like our multi-engine is a lease back aircraft. So we're able to now provide that instruction to our students and our members um, without us as a club and without our members having to take on that cost.
1: Interesting, so in your club, the way it's formed is uh i'm assuming it's a, a non-profit like a 501 c7 or
2: c3 um it's 501 c3
1: okay so someone could actually donate a plane and use it as a write-off right or do a lease back so the benefit is uh, that in your situation is either or i mean it's uh whatever works out best for you and actually the owner of the aircraft when someone actually is involved with the club do in your club, do they buy in as a member of a club that owns and leases airplanes, or are they a part owner of the club?
2: Um, so our members, whenever they join, they just join as members. Um, our aircraft, like I said, our, our leaseback aircrafts have a specific owner. Those are the people who choose to contract the plane to us. Um, and then our lease our, our club-owned airplanes, are they belong to us. Um, so our members being able to have membership gives them access to any of those planes that they would like um, for rental.
1: So there, therein is a, a good reason uh, to have just a membership only type of club. There's also clubs that you pay in and buy in as an equity member. I've been a part of those, and the only hassle there as an equity member is that I had to sell my share when I left. So if someone was to leave your club, can they just pick up and go?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and um, like I said, with us being military, we have people that move away all the time. Um, we have dues that are due twice a year. Um, and so it's, you know, if your dues have been paid um, or you know that you're moving and you choose not to pay your dues, you can just go into an inactive status um, and there's no more financial obligation out of the member after that after that point.
1: So do you have a limit then on the number of people that can actually join?
2: We haven't found the limit yet. Um, I'm sure there will be a point. Um, you know you don't ever want to grow to an unsustainable membership rate um but again with members that are constantly kind of going and coming back and things like that we haven't had that issue as of yet we have gotten pretty close to where we have so many members um like currently we operate on a wait list for our flight instruction um but we let them know that we are on a wait list we've got to wait for some students to cycle through and get their licenses Um, And everybody has been pretty cool about it so far and understanding that we are Not primarily for flight instruction. And so it's kind of on an as available basis
1: So your flight instructors, um, I know certain clubs they have specific flight instructors that actually are Assigned to that club. Do all of your instructors uh, They have to be members or can someone find an outside
2: instructor? yeah so our flight instructors are contractors um they do not have to be members of the club Um, and some of our instructors actually only fly with the club for instruction um they don't fly the planes like for their families and things like that Um, so they just are contracted through the base and they get you know paid as such
1: You know, one of the things I think was so wonderful about joining so many clubs as a flight instructor, and I know, Matt, you're going to become an instructor someday uh, soon, is the fact that, you know, you wind up going to a club to have fun, but you actually wind up making money. Not that that was the purpose. And, And full disclosure, I have every flight club I've ever been involved with, I've actually made more than I paid into it. So in other words, every month I may have a, a fee or whatever, but I actually wound up, say if I was spending $300 on the, a month on the club, I'd actually make $600 as a flight instructor. And I think that's that's kind of a, a neat benefit of, of being involved in a flight club. You could actually wind up making a little more than you actually pay into it. So not only do you have fun, you actually make a little bit of money. So that, I think that's a terrific choice. And Matt, on yours, in your club now, do you, do you have specific instructors that are allowed to come into the airplane?
3: We're an equity flying club. So we, there's only seven seven part. We've got actually we have two CFI's in our club. One of them, uh, unfortunately, flies full time for NetJets. but we do got we do have several in the in the hangar environment. environment that you know, go out usually do individual instruction for different owners. That's usually who.
1: One of the things I think that's important, kind of what we touched on here, is is the rules, and um, and having rules that define who can teach in the airplane and what you can do, I think, is incredibly important. I noticed, Brianna, on your site, that was awesome. They talked about different things like formation flying. Is that allowed? You know, aerobatics, is that allowed? What is defined as aerobatics? If you're doing chandelles, that kind of thing, it's okay for your ratings. But uh, I think that's that's something that's incredibly important. And the fact that you have it so transparent and out there, I think that makes it a lot easier for people. Uh, Is there anything that you would suggest when it does come to the rules that that maybe uh, you found that would benefit others? You know, maybe there's something that you have in your rules that might benefit others.
2: Um, so our our rules are triple layered, um, and it's actually really great for protection. So you obviously have the FAA's rules. So saying pilots can, can't do this. I think the FAA rules through the FARs, the AIM, um, are very well laid out. Um, but then under that, we have our base, um, like Navy-wide bupers instructions and that lays out almost tighter rules and then we have our club instruction and that lays out rules as well and so you have layers to that security Um, and I think that that is something that's very beneficial because the FAA rules are established for a purpose but there's nothing wrong with taking them and making them a little bit tighter for safety purposes because there's you know the FAA rules are rules, they're not suggestions, but there's nothing wrong with with adding to that for benefits of other people.
1: I think also it could benefit you in insurance too. I mean, if you require everybody to say, do a certain safety uh, program uh, every year, maybe part of the wings per year, that might even help there. Uh, but having those rules in place is, is incredibly important for many reasons, it's not just the flight rules, it's also other rules. Um, so uh, with that said, Um, some of the challenges I've seen in the past is when someone doesn't agree with certain rules. Here's a great example is flying off grass. You know, a lot of people don't like to have their airplanes fly off grass or certain airplanes can, can or cannot fly on the grass. And the reason being is maybe the wheel pants are still on the airplane and We only allow them to fly in the grass at certain times of the year So that is a that's one of those rules I think is really important for our maintenance and our cost to our club and that type of thing So so that being well-defined I think is really important the other part of it too that I think is important the rules And I'd love to hear what you guys have done with this is the appearance standards uh, Within the rules. I this is one of the things I like about club airplanes It makes me feel like an owner and when I feel like an owner, that means I'm getting into a plane that's not a mess. You know, it doesn't have garbage all over the place. But every so often that happens. Uh, so you kind of have to enforce those rules. But if you have someone who's in charge of appearance, uh, I think that's that's been a big benefit. I will say the the club that I was involved with that had somebody who's in charge of appearance and would actually go to the person that maybe left it a mess and say, hey, guys, you know, we you left this airplane a mess. Let's try not to do it next time. Uh, so... I think that's that's a real important one. But the club that didn't have an appearance uh, rules and or or somebody who's in charge of it, uh, the plane kind of get pretty run down after a while, even though we had a lot less members. Uh, so uh, Brianna, what do you do there? I mean, as far as appearance is concerned, um, and making sure that it's it's maintained uh, well on the inside, not the mechanical part.
2: Yeah. So um, our planes are old. Um, you know, there's going to be wear and tear to that, but we have a fantastic full time maintainer. So he's an A.M.P. he works full-time, he does the 50-hour, 100-hour, he does all the maintenance inspections and things like that. Um, but in addition to that, we've been, um, it's something that we used to do, which is actually how I got started, and we're working to kind of put back into place, and they we call them crew chiefs. So it's one or two volunteers assigned to each airplane who routinely will go through and make sure that placards are legible and still where they're supposed to be. That things aren't left over in the airplanes. We have um bins in the back of the airplanes that hold things like oil sumps, um, chalks, tail locks, things like that, making sure that all the materials are there for the flights and then also kind of working with maintenance to make sure that, hey, I noticed this tear in this seat. Um, do you wanna take a look at it or things like that to make sure that the club members are treating the planes with respect but also that maintenance is notified because our maintenance is kind of the ultimate taking care of all aspects of the airplane inside and out
1: having a larger club like you have i think is it's helpful to have the person in charge of appearance but i have found in my experience only that in the two smaller clubs i've been in uh that actually uh, appearance has been a challenge because you you know there's one person and there's 150 members in a larger club and then there's one person, there's five members. So sometimes it can be a little bit more of a challenge. So Matt, how about you with a smaller club? Um, are there any challenges that you had with uh, maintaining the appearance standards?
3: We've um, got a list of club rules that everybody must sign. Uh, I send them off, if somebody wants to buy in, if someone shares for sale, I'll send them to a prospective member. You know, these are non-negotiable. You keep your aircraft clean. Uh, after every flight, it must be wiped down, trash taken out. We do working parties every three, four months where we'll actually go in and clean the plane, hand wash the plane, buff it out, things like that. So we really haven't had any problems. I know in the past we've had some members that weren't active and we now have more active
1: members. Interesting. You know, that brings up a point you just said as far as wash parties. Another really big part of being involved in a club, to me, is all the different social events. I know we have wash parties at all the clubs that I've been in. Uh, one we didn't, and that was the one that didn't have the best-looking airplanes. Uh, but the not just wash parties, but other things. So, for instance, uh, the my favorite thing about one of the clubs I was in in New Jersey, in Solberg, New Jersey, was the fact we had a banquet every year. And we all got together, and there was someone that did a presentation, and it was just just a blast. Um, and, and it's like a family. I'm actually still in touch with those people and I haven't been a member for 10 years. I'm still invited to to go there socially. so that's one thing of course flyouts is another. Brianna, what kind of events do you guys have to keep it fun?
2: Yeah um, so we we do um, quite a few things throughout the year to try to keep things uh, fun. We also will do full fleet flyouts so we'll send out kind of like a Google Docs sheet and people can sign up to whatever empty airplane seats there are. Um, like we've flown to, uh, St. Simons to go to Southern Seoul. I feel like everybody probably needs to do that at some point. Um, we've gone to the Pig Roast in Williston. Um, we've gone flying to Sun and Fun. Um, we had a lot of airplanes, uh, the last couple of years that would fly to Sun and Fun. I think we had over a dozen members throughout the week that were able to make it. Um, we also will do, um it doesn't sound fun, but every other month we do a safety, a safety meeting. And then annually we do a safety stand down. And so that safety stand down will include the full membership. And we also will try to do something like cater lunch or a barbecue or things like that. Um, and then we also will, um, try to just kind of get, just get members together. Um, we coordinate washes and waxes that'll have members there. Um, and then we do like, ground school, but everything we do kind of also has the networking opportunity, the getting to know each other opportunity so that everybody can meet and get to know everybody else.
1: Interesting because that you mentioned the networking. I've seen some clubs also do like a a social membership where you you don't have to be a member or you can stay as a social member afterwards. I thought that was a really cool idea. Uh, Brianna, do you have something like that or have you ever heard something like that?
2: I have heard of them. Um, there's a couple of clubs that we have looked into to kind of get ideas to see like how are these run and how are they structured um, and I have seen ones that are like that and I've also seen ones that are like on a family membership so that way the family can get involved um, but I don't particularly think that we do enough of the social stuff. Um, I have been trying to get us kind of more socially involved. Um, again, you know, it was hard with COVID hitting and um, people not really wanting to be as social during that time. So um, I think it would be great. And we do have a lot of people that are interested in what we do, and not everybody wants to fly. Um, so I definitely think that there's ways to still be around. Um, and having a social membership would definitely be one of those to where you can still get involved.
1: Something else too I think is important is giving back to the community. And I feel that a lot of these flying clubs give back in in one really important way, and I think people don't realize this, is there's a lot of folks that are getting a little bit older and now I'm starting to realize this, is that they don't wanna fly by themselves. Uh, They may have a medical condition, may not preempt them from flying, but they just felt like they shouldn't be flying by themselves anymore and i know in one of the clubs absolutely loved it because we would uh i used to it wasn't a good name i used to call it babysitting because i was a lot younger a flight instructor and they would just ask me to come along uh i don't think that's a great way to describe it It was more like camaraderie and 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 networking like you said where you just go and you go fly with that person and and they were able to even though they couldn't fly even some of those members couldn't fly they actually got to keep their memberships so it's something i think that i think people should think about is that some people will maybe eventually not be able to fly anymore or maybe they can't fly but having somebody interested in actually flying and coming on as a member might be an idea i mean as far as a a, it could be like a a non-flying member and the one club that i saw do this i thought that was the coolest thing because it's just a great way to to reach out so so brianna i was wondering what, what do you do with your your members that maybe lose their medical what happens then
2: um, so our members that lose their medicals, um, obviously, unfortunately, the one the one of two options would be that, you know, they typically will tend to leave, but others choose to still go up with flights, uh, for flights with instructors um, or other members. So that is an option. Um, they maintain their membership that way. Um, we also have a simulator, so they're able to access our sim. Um, but yeah, for... Most of them that are going through, I think I more frequently see that their medical is being held up for some reason, um, and they'll take some proficiency flights while they're waiting for that to be taken care of, um, or they're downed medically through the Navy for any number of reasons.
1: Interesting. So that's something that I think that, you know, if you're listening, you have a club or you're thinking of forming a club, it's something to put in there, I think, having a a non flying member. Uh, You know, I used to do a lot of flying with an individual that you know, he couldn't fly anymore. He was a World War II pilot. Uh, and, uh, this is going back about 10 years and, uh, it was great. He could actually come to the club and fly, which was really, really cool. Uh, so there's, uh, there's lots of different options there. And I think it's, it's just think outside the box. If you're thinking of uh, getting involved in a club or making it better, uh, you touched on safety events. I thought that was terrific. Uh, I think every club should have a safety stand down. They should have, you know, maybe a safety meeting every so often, um, is, uh, is there anything else on, like, in your club that you have that, that looks towards safety? Maybe you have uh, your own minimums, that type of thing. I guess that would be defined in the rules.
2: Yeah, so um, we do have that. We have also a club safety officer that is a part of our board of directors. Um, and we also have the base safety officer who really helps out where needed. Um, and a lot of things that have occurred, if there's any sort of incidents or anything that is You know, everybody has that where they see something and you're like, well, that's concerning. Um, That's kind of the area where we will address those situations um, if it's not something that needs to be handled privately. Um, And we're really big on, you know, I think a lot of things in aviation are learning from the mistakes. And so we are open about issues and we're very open about those in safety meetings. Like this is what happened. This is what was learned from it. And this is what we're going to be doing moving forward. But also... safety meetings are a great way for our members to be able to ask questions um, to everybody directly like hey I saw this what's this about and we're able to handle that and address a whole room at once because I'm sure that other people probably had those questions but our safety officer is a great resource for that kind of stuff because they are able to look at flights and make sure that members are flying within minimums because our situation, you can rent a plane at any given time during the day, and that doesn't mean that there's somebody there. So there's a lot of trust in those members, but also we do monitor to make sure that rules are not being broken during that time.
1: Yeah, that's good. And that's, uh, you know, again, going back to safety, you have a checklist, that type of thing. It's, it's uh, am I safe for that flight? Talking about safety and uh, getting people involved in flying, a lot of times, uh, and we talked about this in the beginning, how a more complex airplane could be a, an issue. Uh, monitoring the safety in something that's more complex is incredibly important. You know, it's important for anything. But your uh, insurance actually is is usually a you know a little bit more challenging when you start going towards complex aircraft. So uh, little things, like if you're a multi-engine airplane, you have to have an instructor with you if you're going to do simulated single engine. Those type of things are important to put into your rules. Um, which kind of brings me to the next topic. And I know in your club and other clubs, how is it that you go about, say, selecting a plane? What's the best plane for the club? Do you actually, um, you know, say, hey guys, I think we're, it's time for a new airplane. What, what do you want to do? What do you think is best for the club?
2: Yeah. So, um, like I said, we are moving more towards kind of a leaseback situation now. Um, just with the cost, especially with the cost of airplanes to buy it in this time. Um, and so, it's either like we know like hey a 172 would be really beneficial because we've been getting a lot of people asking do you have a 172 um or you know there's a lot of people that really liked flying this piper 140 we don't have it anymore um so we're able to kind of go and source almost within the community people with those types of airplanes Um, but we tend to focus mostly on planes that can be utilized for both flight instruction and for pleasure um, because that's ones where they're getting their license in that plane and they're also taking their family on vacation in that same plane so they're comfortable.
1: And that, that makes sense. As far as going back to what you said about leasing, um, one, this is a suggestion I have, especially for people that have smaller clubs, is lease an aircraft, do a lease back. just like It's just like a flight school where you do a lease back because um, there's people out there that have the money that can buy an airplane. And uh, and when you do a lease back, you're not putting out forth all this money. Uh, and there's many different ways to actually present that lease back. So with your school, uh, excuse me, with your club, when it's a lease back, um, how, how do you go about that? How is it administered? Like do they, uh, get a, do they pay for the maintenance? Who determines the maintenance? How How's that all work?
2: yeah so our maintainer has a flat rate um and with us being nonprofit, it's kind of all it costs um we don't charge our leasebacks for like ramp space or anything like that so our leasebacks really only have to pay the cost of the maintenance the insurance um, and the actual cost of the airplane but all the money goes through the same account and then the leaseback owners are paid at the end of every month based off of the flight hours of the airplane
1: Yeah, I wonder if with the flying club, and maybe you know this answer, if the leaseback owners actually wind up uh, making money on it enough to maybe, you know, pay for their flying.
2: In my experience, um, typically they'll come out above what the cost of the plane was. Um, And we're in a good spot right now where our members fly the plane so often that we are in a smaller amount of airplanes with more members flying. So the planes are, you know, just they're being maintained better because there's less airplanes to maintain. They're flying more because we have more members that can fly them. Um, so and that's that's another thing that I don't think a lot of people can tend to consider whenever buying an airplane is, oh, it's going to be in a club. It's going to be great. It's going to fly all the time. No, it's going to need to go down for maintenance and sometimes that can be weeks. And whenever an airplane's sitting, it's costing you money.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and you still have those carrying costs, right? And uh And that's something I think that's that you touched on. That's great. Is that somebody who's considering a a lease back? um, There's a lot of other costs involved, uh, not just uh, the maintenance and the gas. Uh, There's many other things that are involved, even with the club. So kind of what what would be a good, like maybe you can name a few things that might be some other costs that are involved. Tie down, I guess, is one, right?
2: Yeah. So um, I would say that, um, you know, the cost of the little things, maintenance, um, maintenance parts, you've got the cost of oil for the airplane, um, tires, brakes, um, all that stuff. If you want to redo your avionics, if you don't like the way that your panel looks and you want to redo that, that's going to cost you money, or your interior seats. Um, fuel for the airplane, um, insurance is a big one, um, especially if you're going to be leasing your aircraft back for instruction. Um, that's going to add to that overall cost.
1: So that's from the owner's perspective. Now let's shift to the club's perspective. What other costs would there be other than the airplane stuff? I mean, do you have a clubhouse? Do you have to rent space? How does that look?
2: So our stuff is, um, since it's on the base, we don't have too much of an overhead. Um, We had a credit card machine that cost us quite a bit of money every month, which I don't think people, again, that's one of those like random why is this costing so much money? Um, and it was just all the credit card transaction fees, um, my cost, of course, um, the cost to update our simulator, um, our club-owned airplane costs. Um, but that's really, there's not a ton of costs that are involved outside of that for us. So it helps us to be able to kind of keep our rates low and keep our dues low and things like that.
1: You said simulator, so do you have to rent space for that simulator? How does that work?
2: No, so we have, um, our our simulator is BATD certified, so it occasionally will need upgrades or updates, um, you know, to the software or to the actual um, hardware that's with it. And that can, that can be kind of expensive. Um, and then I would also say um, other costs, thinking about that now, would be upgrades to our club-owned airplanes.
1: Gotcha. You know, another interesting thing from the the one club I was involved with in in New Jersey is the the cost of the actual room to rent the room. But, uh, one thing that we had is this really good relationship with the flight school. And I think that's important too, is if you're on an airport is to have a relationship with the flight school locally and the flight instructors, because they're not going to be so welcome to a club coming in and taking business away from them. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll go towards that flight school for the instructors. And that's something I think to be a good neighbor as a flight school or excuse me, as a club, I think it's best to to try to find good instructors at at the local schools. Um, and again, I think Brianna, you said you use mainly people from, from the actual membership, but you also use outside instructors. Where do you find those outside instructors?
2: So um, we occasionally, if we find that we're in need of instructors, we're able to, um, put out job postings outside. Um, But a lot of them come from word of mouth, or um, a lot of our instructors, current instructors, also instruct other places um, or have other jobs. And so it's people that they know. Um, And so that's, again, it's one of those situations where networking is really, really keen here because you're able to find quality instructors without having to sift through 100 applications.
1: Absolutely. You know, another thing about the flight clubs and, and running a successful flight club, I think is important is to have good partnerships at the airport and keep an open dialogue. Because once you start talking about starting a flight club, uh, a lot of times this flight schools will fight you on this and say they're the FBO. And they may even say, listen, we manage the airport. You can't have a flight club. Well, no, if they take federal funds, they have to allow you to open a flight club. It's in the rules. Uh, but with all that said, you still need to keep that relationship because uh, a lot of times you'll have to go that, to them for favors and vice versa. And it's good to be a good neighbor and a good tenant of, of the airport. Obviously, you don't have much of a problem there. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, you know, when, when I, you know, admittedly, um, at some of the, in some of the clubs, I'm trying to say this diplomatically, at some of the clubs that I've been involved with at the airports, we've had uh, some challenges with uh, the local FBO because we had maintenance that was done by our own people, uh, maintenance that we could do because we were part owners of the aircraft, um, but they actually uh, kind of were, were not so thrilled about that. And uh, but So that's something you have to make sure you have an open dialogue with is that the things that I can do, well, changes, et cetera, as long as I'm an owner of the airplane, then yes, I can do those. Otherwise, we actually you know, use the local mechanics. And I find that's kind of an issue sometimes with the, the local FBOs, so you have to definitely have that open dialogue. Uh, I don't know, Matt, have you had any, any issues where, at, uh, at the airport you're at as far as uh, any animosity or any challenges, I should say, with the local flight schools?
3: Um, no, none. I mean, we're, we're, just, we're a tenant. We're an aircraft owner, we're a tenant. Uh, we work well with, I mean, actually a lot of the schools will send us prospective buyers. We've got somebody who wants to build time. And we'll talk to them. And if We've actually, over the years, we've, we've brought a couple in, some are sold. Um, and as far as the airport goes, we have a great little community. Uh, Punta Gorda, great community. Uh, airport is, you know, it was a little airport. It's getting a lot bigger. A lot more uh, flight schools on the field. The There's actually no flying club on Pundit, in Punta I'm actually getting an idea from, the, from listening to Brianna about maybe popping one up there, um, in addition to being in my equity club. Uh, now, no issues. Um, and I've, I've talked to other clubs in the area. They all seem to, to play nice in the sample.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's good to hear. Um, but but like I said, I've had those challenges, and uh, it really, uh, like I said, has, you have to open this dialogue with the airport and with the other uh, people on the airport. Maybe they run the maintenance facility, et cetera. So something to look out for. Uh, maintenance is another thing, by the way. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, before we kind of conclude here. Um, in the realm of maintenance, um, I think you know, if, for anybody that's owned an airplane, been in a club, there's a big difference between – maintenance, routine maintenance and something that's a big maintenance item. So for instance, we decide to buy a new motor. That's a huge decision. What do we buy? What do we get? That type of thing. So Brianna, what do you what do you guys do as far as like the the little maintenance decisions? Do you have this cutoff uh like three thousand dollars or whatever? Do you have to go to a board to figure out uh you know, should we spend above that or or do you have a blank check?
2: Um definitely not a blank check. Um there are Pretty much no decisions that don't go through multiple channels. Um, We have our our A&P, but we also have a maintenance officer. Um, And so the maintenance officer is also a member of our board of directors. And so they discuss and then it goes through the board of directors and will be voted yes or no. Um, So large purchases like that. Of course, if it's like a part that's necessary for an airplane, that's fine. That's really just purchased um, as needed. But for instance, we bought um, a new avionics suite for one of our airplanes. Um, and that was something that not only needed to go through us, but it needed the purchase approval needed to go through the base as well um, to make sure that it was okay to spend that money.
1: On that point of maintenance, uh, just, and I don't wanna, I hope I don't sound kind of as negative because I, I think clubs are great, but I've had a lot of challenges with maintenance, especially in some of the different partnerships I've been involved with. Where you know it wasn't as well defined as it should have been. There's something that there's my advice. Put it down on paper. You know, say, hey, if it's above say three thousand dollars, you have to get my approval to do the maintenance. But there has to go beyond that because uh, what may happen is the owner, if you're doing a leaseback, might decide, and this all has to be in writing, that they'll take the airplane back and do the maintenance on their own. And I've had those things happen. We're all somewhere out an airplane. And it's like, well, when's it coming back? Well, you know, you have to make sure that that's all in writing, that we will do the maintenance. If it's above this amount, we'll get approved, but you can't just take the airplane, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, know, I've been through a couple of horror stories with with the, the clubs. I still am a huge believer in them, but I'm starting to convince myself that a lot of stuff has to be in writing when it comes to doing that type of thing. Uh, so uh, you know, in general, I think you're in a more controlled environment, Brian. I think that's great, um, but that can be a sticking point. So, in general, even though you're friends in the beginning, it's best to keep your friendship going. If you have everything in writing, I think it's the best way to do it. I don't know, Matt. Have you any had any challenges? Uh, I know you're in a smaller club, so sometimes that happens.
3: In the past, we've had members that didn't really want to spend a whole lot of money on maintenance. I'm quite the opposite; I'm a big proponent of upgrades and maintenance. Uh, I used to be the maintenance officer. And during my tenure, we upgraded our, our GPS to IFR GPS. Um, and we've also put in a new engine. And lots of challenges and lots of money. I'm very happy to say it only cost me one-seventh of that amount because I we are partners. Our basic, kind of what we've got everybody into now, and first of all, any major purchases has to be majority decision. So we got to, it's, it's a vote, majority vote. Anything, of as course, as upgrades. Mostly that's upgrades. New engines, a new engine. You have a worn-out part, something that's time-limited, or you know, broken, anything broken, it's got to be fixed, and there's there's no question about it. We have a local mechanic we work with uh, that we trust. That's actually gone through our aircraft many times, and they recommend the work. We get it done. It, it, it's black and white. It's four thousand dollars. This is your portion.
1: In a smaller club like yours, um, I think it's it's good to have someone who has some mechanical abilities, or who also is a mechanic. It's great to have a mechanic on staff. Uh, you have been, I was gonna say, you are a mechanic in the Marines, right? And helicopters, yeah. So, so you have a little experience working with helicopters and, and turning a wrench, let's put it that way. So, so that's really important, I think, in, in a lot of clubs, you can find someone like that. Even if they have no mechanical, aviation mechanical experience, uh, having someone like my partner was an auto mechanic and he did all the work. I mean, it was terrific under, the, you know the guidelines and also in certain instances uh, Under the watchful eye of an AMP depending on what they were doing and I think that's that's incredibly important So that's a good point that Matt. I mean you you guys saved a lot of money that way uh, And Brianna you actually have the opportunity to make save a lot of money I'm assuming just having uh, having the I mean uh, a modicum of different people that are maintainers just in your own area
2: yeah we have um a lot of we have our one like contract mechanic but we have a lot of volunteers as well our organization without our volunteers would just completely fall apart you know this isn't um on me for being successful it's not on you know the members specifically for being successful it's for the fact that we have this whole group of people and our volunteers who really work so hard to make sure that it's all successful and that includes over in our maintenance department um, and even maintenance allows on occasion for members to go over um, if there's things that are being done like 100 hours or annuals if they want to go and see like the cowlings off the engine and see what's what's where and learn how to you know fix brakes or do an oil change um, our maintainer is really great about allowing people to come over and check it out and explaining things as he's working so that um, they also understand the mechanics to the airplane because I think that's just as important as flying the airplane.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, you know, uh, one of the things that I I, I wanna say is thank you so much for coming here, Brianna. Is there anything else that you want to maybe put forth as far as, uh, you know, if you're looking at a successful club, what are maybe one of the one, two, or three of the most important points?
2: I would say communication. Um, I think communication with everything in life is paramount. Um, You know, you need to be able to communicate with your membership. You need to be able to communicate um, two ways. They need to be able to have that communication with you as well. They need to be able to stress um, any issues that they may have. I would also say that making sure that your aircraft are properly maintained um making sure that your aircraft are safe to fly um and again i would stress that the third one is safety um if you have an incident um or god forbid an accident under your name that is not go that will almost like completely destroy your reputation and you immediately look unsafe so making sure that safety is is like at the forefront of everything that you do and stressing that to the members um you can have just as much fun and still be safe, and I am very big on that.
1: Absolutely, and Brianna, I think that's why they're doing so well is because they got have you there helping administer this club again. Thanks so much for coming out; really appreciate it. And uh, and also Matt, thanks for joining us and, and having your input to to your club. As a matter of fact, I probably should ask you what what are your your maybe one, two, or three items that you feel would be the most important for a successful flight club.
3: Not you know, not everybody maintains the aircraft the way. Some of us do. Uh, whether you're getting to a club or, you, or you're buying into a partnership, you know, if you're buying into a partnership, you're buying an airplane. Do a pre-buy of some sort. At least have someone look the logbooks. Uh, with a club, look at their maintenance records. Look at their maintenance standards. Make sure the plane is. It has a 100-hour inspection, 50-hour inspection. Getting oil changes. Um, little things. You know, a lot of times people fly planes, they break, but they don't report it. Look at the aircraft. You're the pilot in command. You're the one that's gonna you know, be dealing with the FAA from there
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, so I think I think the biggest thing I think uh, Brianna said this trust but verify. I think that's a, a, a incredibly uh, incredibly important. Also, I think an important thing, too, if you're thinking about uh, joining a club, starting club, et cetera, is there's lots of resources out there. Uh, in the AOPA uh, You Can Fly initiative, there's a, there's a whole website out there It says Flying Clubs, and uh, there's a bunch of different resources there, articles about how to start a flying club. I have links below in, in the show notes here, and also this incredible video that Jamie Beckett did about starting. And growing a flying club he actually mentions those articles in AOPA about starting a flying club great resources eaa has a great uh section of their website about starting a flying club also look back to one of our past episodes from 2011 where we talked about flying clubs explained i talked about the flying club that i was involved with and the president of the club uh, who, by the way, is a Czech airman at the airlines right now? Uh, he went from a club and having fun to actually becoming an airline pilot. He was having so much fun running a, a club, but he did a great job running that club. And there's some really good insight there. Uh, but in general, I think flying clubs are terrific. Personally, for me, uh, I think it's great just from the social aspect, uh, and uh, I love getting together with like-minded people and, uh, and people like you know Brianna, also like Matt. You know, it's uh, and every every club is different. And every club has their own specific things that they like to do and focus on. Uh, And that's important to figure out what it is you're going to do and focus on. Brianna, again, thanks for, uh, for actually this, this whole conversation around this point. I know we can find you at, uh, in the club at jacksnfc.com. I have links in the show notes. Anywhere else they can find you, Brianna?
2: Um, we also do have an Instagram, um, and we have Facebook. Um, I, our Instagram, I think, is just at jacksnfc, and our Facebook is actually Jacksonville Navy Flying Club. But um, we post some of the things that we're doing there. Um, Flying pictures are always fun to post. Um, We post maintenance pictures. I like to try to um, emphasize the the various aspects of the club on the social media sites so that people can kind of see what we're up to.
1: And that's somebody we should always look towards is Brianna for a successful flying club, having a lot of uh, friends that actually have been involved in the flying club there and, and uh, associates. I think you do a great job. There's all, all been so many good uh, things said about you. If you have any questions about flying clubs and getting started or for Brianna stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com you can also click on contact here uh guys this has been awesome a great conversation i know we're going to get a lot of questions uh we're going to probably have to push this into another episode about uh, about episode two how to how to successfully buy an aircraft in a flying club there's very very different topics all these different topics we talked about we could do a whole hour discussion on it so matt brianna thanks again appreciate it
2: thank you take care everybody
1: well, if you're listening today, um, one of the things that you know, since this is more set up like an interview, we're not going to do our our picks of the week. But I do want you to know that we're starting at the bottom of our, our website talking about the things we have coming up. Our next step, uh, excuse me, our next event that we're going to is the Triple Tree uh, annual Triple Tree Aerodrome annual fly-in, and that's September 18th to the 24th. After that, we have a booth. Actually, the Florida International Air Show where Matt Len was able to set that up for us on November 4th and 5th. And we also have a booth at Sun, Sun and Fun that we're going to have from April 9th to 24th. And that's next year, April 9th, 24th. On uh, And Sun, we're always at Sun and Fun, so you can always find us there. Hopefully, you will always find us at Florida International Air, Lo, Air Show and also Triple Tree. Uh, but one thing I want you to do is, after you're done with this podcast, make sure that I know some of you are not flying right now, some of you are maybe flying actively, but uh, just looking for the next thing in your life, do me a favor, you know, try to do something today to really increase your flying fun. You're, you're living to fly. You're loving to fly. You're learning to fly. Do something in those realms after we finish this today, maybe it's just looking up a website, looking at the Jackson, Jacksonville Naval Air Station uh, Navy Flying Club here. Maybe it's trying to figure out what a flying club is, uh, going to AOPA and researching. Watch some YouTube videos. But if you can't fly today, just get involved by just reading, looking at a website, or listening to podcasts like this. Well, folks, I appreciate your listening to us today. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there.
0: The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.